Hello and welcome back to Duking Out with the Duke. You are listening to the next episode of the Digo miniseries. And I am your host, Dustin, the Duke, and we are playing Street Fighter 2. I just poured it out, so you probably heard a little bit of that. And the beer in front of us we have is 18th Street Breweries Temporal Purgatory. Uh, we've had 18th Street on the show, um, but this is the first time we have it on this little mini-series. It is located in Gary, Indiana, uh, but there's also a tap room in Indy on 18th Street. Uh, 10th Street, sorry. Uh, their name is <laughs> funny. Yeah, so it's on 10th Street. 18th Street is on 10th Street. It's quite, quite funny. So a little bit about them. 18th Street Brewery was founded as a home brewery by Drew Fox in 2010. After years of on-hand learning and exploration, 18th Street Brewery became the official became official with the release of Sinister Deepa in 2013. Shortly after the Sinister release, we opened a 3,200-square-foot brew pub in old dry cleaners building in Gary, Indiana, quickly outgrowing that space. We purchased a 32,000-square-foot warehouse in Hammond. In Hammond, uh, sorry, Indiana, our Hammond location now houses a production, packing, barrel, and tap room, and a full-service kitchen. Our original Gary, Indiana now houses a small 10-barrel open fermentation system as well as a tap room. Uh, we are currently the s- second largest brewery in Northwest Indiana. I'd like you to specify as Northwest. And our team, Drew, he looks like an upstanding dude. That's fantastic. Uh, but the beer that we have in front of us is in Temporal Purgatory. Uh, comes in at 5.9% ABV. And it does not have any IBUs, so I cannot give you any geeky references there. Uh, Chinook and Mosaic Hops hold your tongue accountable for our worldly sins and our fiendishly revengeful session pale ale. That moment between each sip may be temporary, but it feels like its own brief purgatory. So basically, the only way to drink this is completely down the hatch, (laughs) according to this description. Okay, so the can... Uh, we have a skeleton on it, doing a little back break, back uh, bend. Yeah, he's doing something. He's over the flames, and the flames spell out temporal uh, purgatory. The can is purple with gold lettering. Uh, some kind of like spooky and scary backdrop. Uh, this would be be good in like an October setting. Uh, of a beer and then there's the logo and it, it's just like a spooky horror filled uh, image is pretty cool all right uh beer color it is on the darker side i was not anticipating i had to let the head uh dissipate just a little bit uh but it is on the golden side uh like clyde's ghost or a goku's gi no actually darker 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 Blanca shorts. Yep. Blanca shorts it is. There we go. We'll 
tie it in. <laughs> That's why we do we do this. We tie it in with the topic at hand. LOL. Okay, so there's that. What do we smell? Um, it's very, very light, uh, creamy smell. Uh, not a whole lot of citrus there. They said they use mosaic and uh, chinook. Okay, so it's going to be a little bit bitter. Probably in the 60s of the IBUs, if I were to guess, just by smell. Yeah, but other than that, I, I can smell the hops and the bitterness. It smells sweet, uh, but it doesn't really smell a whole lot of, like, I don't know. It doesn't smell citrusy. I've seen a few different pictures, and they seem to be different colors. There's some dark ones and some light ones. I don't know what the difference is. I'm pretty sure this is the dark one, so uh, we'll just we'll go from there. So, bottoms up. Uh, so, the smell is correct. It is kind of light on the taste as well. Right? There's not a whole lot of... I don't know. I don't want to say there's not a whole lot of like sweet flavor. It smells sweeter than it tastes. Uh, it definitely is pale ale It's bitter. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty good. But last episode, we had something that was like very juicy and very hazy. This is, this, you know, it's pale in comparison. But it is pale ale. So that makes sense. But definitely not that high of ABVs. It's probably like in the 40s or IBUs. It's not that high in IBUs, probably like in the 40s, I would guess, if I were to make a, a you know, a guess, an educated guess on it. All right, Untapped has a 3.84 rating out of 13,713 ratings, which is a lot for something that you would consider to be like a, a local Indiana. They do bottle, they do can, they do ship out, so... People are, it's definitely going out there. People are seeing these. It's also on tap, you know, in different places. This place, Forest Park Golf Course, they have it on tap. A lot of people are drinking at home, obviously. A lot of fives I'm seeing. I don't see a whole lot of comments, though. All right. Uh, Heeft Wattweg von Grapefruit. Yeah, I could, I could see the grapefruit, but I don't, my can is just not that. I don't know. It's not that bright with the flavor. I don't know. I could be wrong, but it's it's it doesn't taste or smell as juicy as I was expecting. I guess I don't really see much of comments or anything. There we go. I'm sinking fast. Haven't eaten since 4:30 a.m. Before those two blue loops. Maybe I should get some crisps. So okay. Unnecessary comments. Unnecessary comment. Uh, I haven't even left August yet, so this beer is getting a lot of traction, which is awesome. Here we go. I got a as a gift, and concerned that storage may have tampered with the drink. The aftertaste is good, but each sip tastes like a punch of the taste buds. Don't think I'd get it again if this is what it's supposed to taste like. One and a half. I'm about to watch some UFC. Okay. Not a huge fan of IPAs. Good because they're not IPAs. Uh, not too bad. Could be a little more boozy, not overwhelmingly hoppy, somewhat juicy, semi-sweet. Good beer. Yeah. I see that. I just don't know if I agree with the somewhat juicy. I'm not getting as much juicy as I was wanting or expecting. Hop, bitter finish. It is definitely bitter. All right. Here we go. Uh, time to check it in myself. I've already checked it in, so I'll just go with that. 
temporal purgatory. And, ooh, I have friends who check this in. I can actually do that. All right, so James R., he gave it a 3.25. Uh, Beer Man gave it a 4. Doug Edgar gave it a 3. Just okay. Back end is a little rough. Uh, Bill Cruisinger, he had it but didn't check it in. Or he didn't rate it. He checked it in but didn't rate it. Session Drinking didn't rate it. Uh, that was Jesse Favor. Uh, Christian D., uh, seriously, this brewery is growing into a favorite. Great session, four and a quarter. Patrick Doherty rated this one, uh, four twenty-five. He says finished up my last few. One of my favorite pale ales. Doherty again. Doherty again. Tyler McCord um, says a much-needed drink after a long day. Four and a quarter. And Dustin Wood gave it a four. And then my check-in, I had this, I think it was when we went, oh no, this was in 2017, I probably, I had it at the Brass Rail, okay, it's right, it says right there, had it at the Brass Rail, just one of those beers that they uh, surprise gave me back in 2017 on St. Patrick's Day, I, <laughs> good, <laughs> okay, so I gave that one a four. I'd probably get stick with that one. It's a little old. I wouldn't say it's outdated, but it's a little old of a check-in. Uh, it's over three years. Um, it's it's very. I think it's it's soothing to drink. It's uh, it's smooth. It's kind of creamy. It has a little bit of like a, a juicy taste, uh, citrusy taste, but can't really. You know, it's not really. I don't know if it's a can, but I can't really tell what the citrus is. I'm a fan of the mosaic and the Chinook combination of the hops. So I think, yeah, I think this is a, a pretty good solid uh, four. All right, now on to the video game. I would like to remind you that you can follow us on our Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Drinkin' Geek Out. You can check out our website at www.drinkin'geekout.com for updates on our pod, our blog, and the colorful reference models and the Geek IV references are there, so you can actually know what the heck we're talking about. If you like the show, please like, comment, and subscribe uh, to the podcast and the uh, social media pages as well. Uh, feel free to reach out to us via email, drinkinggeekout at gmail.com with any comments, questions, and concerns uh, regarding the podcast. We also have a Patreon if you want to get on there. It's patreon.com slash drinkinggeekout. Uh, there's a few levels of you know support that you can do, especially giving show notes, uh, topics, and you know things like that, and a couple bonus episodes. Uh, you can also you know purchase t-shirts and all that jazz from us from our Threadless shop, which is drinkinggeekout.threadless.com. We have masks. Uh, anything like that. If any of our shirts or masks uh, that are centered around COVID uh, get purchased, we also are donating that to the No Kids Hunger Foundation. Back to the show. All right, welcome back. We decided to play Street Fighter 2, The World Warrior. Um, I was looking for Street Fighter 1, if I'm going to be completely honest, but I couldn't find it. Uh, apparently, it's an arcade game. I don't know. Uh, I don't think I have an arcade emulator on my RetroPie, so I don't have all that many arcade games. 
And so I just just went up, you know, to the next available one, which was Street Fighter Two. I did find Street Fighter on the regular Nintendo. It was Street Fighter, um, like the Last War, twenty or ten or something. And I I, I played it or I started it, and it was kind it was kind of weird. It was almost like one of those side scrolling battle games where you know you're trying to get to the end it's kind of like a, a metroid or something uh definitely no guns is all punching and kicking in the same fashion of street fighter but i don't know it was, it was it was interesting to say the least because if that's what they thought 2010 was gonna look like back in the 90s holy crap <laughs> 20 years makes a huge difference uh but the, that game wasn't enjoyable because uh, that's not what I was looking for and that's not what the point of this show is. And so I was like, you know what? Maybe I should look for a different uh, Street Fighter game uh, from maybe something that I had played growing up, right? <laughs> and so uh, I did a little research. I don't have a main arcade box or anything, so I went with the Street Fighter 2 because I knew that that one was ported over to the Super Nintendo. Uh, and so that's what we played. So this one is simply known as Street Fighter 2. It is a competitive fighting game developed by Capcom, originally released for the arcade system in 91. It is the second installment in the Street Fighter series and a sequel to Street Fighter, released in 1987. It is Capcom's 14th title to use the CP system, arcade system board. The Street Fighter... Two improved many of the concepts introduced in the first game, including the use of special command-based moves and a six-button configuration, while offering players a wider selection of playable characters, each in their own fighting style. And then there was like combos and stuff. Was, I don't want to say it's ahead of its time, but it was actually uh, really nice to have combos. And you had games like Mortal Kombat and Killer Instincts, you know that. Your Mortal Kombat was punch, 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 uh, murder. And then you had like Killer Instincts uh, that was combo, 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 combo. And so I felt like this was a good mix. And, you know, it just depends on your graphics, how you want to remember a game. If you want it like super real or if you want it to be super clunky or if you want it, you know, super artsy fartsy. And I feel like. Uh, I feel like Street Fighter kind of took the artsy fartsy approach while still providing, you know, some fight and then the combos. It's, I, I feel like it's just happy middle, you know. Uh, Street Fighter 2 became the best selling title since the golden age of arcane gaming. By 1994, the game had been played by over 25 million people in the United States alone, at home, and in arcades. Due to its success, a series of updated versions offering additional features and characters were released. All versions of Street Fighter II have sold more than 200,000 arcade cabinets and over 15 million software units worldwide, and they are estimated to have grossed over 10 million in total revenue, making it one of the top three highest grossing video games of all time, as of 2017, and the best-selling fighting game up until 2019. The Super Nintendo version of Street Fighter 2, the one that I played, sold over 6.3 million cartridges, making it Capcom's best-selling single software title for the next two decades, and their best-selling game on the single platform. 
Street Fighter 2 is regarded as one of the greatest video games of all time, and is particularly the most important and influential fighting game ever made. It, its launch is seen as a revolutionary moment in its genre, credited with the popularizing the fighting genre during the 1990s, inspiring other producers to create their own fighting series. It also sparked a renaissance for the arcade video game industry and had an impact on competitive video gaming in a wider popular culture such as films and music. The films were absolutely garbage. But the you know, all the other fighting styles in games and whatnot that it uh brought to the f- uh the fray, you know, just awesome. Uh, so I played this game growing up a bunch uh, on the Super Nintendo, and I just played it today uh, for the first time in, I don't know, about 20 years on my RetroPie uh, using the NES uh, version and controller. Uh, so part of the, the gameplay of this is you had, you know, you have these rules that that you have to follow, you have maps you have to go to, and you do, you know, like close quarter combat, and you have like a best of three. So a lot of the fighting styles are like best of threes that you would do. So you have your first round, second round, and potentially a rubber match. If an opponent knocks you each other out at the same time, or the timer runs out and both fighters have equal amount of vitality left, a double KO or draw game is declared. I don't think I've ever seen one of those. Um, every, oh, this is interesting. Every third match in a single player mode, the player will participate in a bonus stage for additional points. I remembered something like that, kind of. Uh, every time that I played it recently, I got my ass kicked. Um, but, you know, that's, it's life. <laughs> um, but I don't know. I played Blanca and I don't remember really playing Blanca. I don't remember any of the moves or anything like that. So, I guess that's what's very limiting to us. Okay, so the list of characters. When you start up the game originally, you have eight characters, I believe. I remember only seeing eight when I was on there, but they have a a few on here uh, listed. Uh, Probably CPU-exclusive characters for later releases of the game. That's fine. All right, so we have uh, our first hero that you see is Ryu. Um, a Japanese uh, karateka seeking to hone his skills. He's the winner of the previous tournament. He is not convinced that he's the greatest fighter in the world and comes to the tournament in search of fresh competition. Uh, next, He's from Japan, which is weird because he's like white in the game. Not going to, you know, whitewash anything, but he looks very whitewashed. Uh, Ken, American, Ryu's best friend. He's his greatest rival and former training partner from the United States. You have E. Honda, uh, Edmund Honda, more commonly as E. uh, Honda. He's a big sumo wrestling guy from Japan. Guile. This one is, I remember a lot of the, like, games and videos I've seen is his former U.S. Air Force operative. Uh, he has a mission to defeat a guy named M. Bison, which you don't actually fight in this game until the end, I think, and he's actual playable character later. Uh, Chin Lee, who kicked my ass when I played it just now, 
a Chinese martial artist who works as an Interpol officer seeking to avenge her deceased father. She's Chinese. She also looks very, you know, light in the game. They do, they do a really good job at whitewashing their characters. Uh, Blanca, a beast-like mutant from Brazil who is raised in the jungle. He's green and he has got like this awesome long orange hair and uh, amber-colored pants because we have a, a beard named after him. Then we have uh, Zangief. He is a hairy Russian, a professional wrestler uh, out of the Soviet Union. He'd, he'd got the hair chest battle red pants I fight hairy kneecaps you know <laughs> you look at him he's like yeah fan- fancy pants Russian boy very strong and then we have uh, Dal- we have Dalsim that's right Dalsim uh, he is a fire breathing yoga master from India and this is I think the only character of a uh, person of color who matches the it sounds weird, but he's the only person of color who has the appropriate uh, skin color in this game. Everyone else seems a little whitewashed. Honda kind of looks, you know, right, but everyone else seems to be like a, a white character. Which, I mean, sprites back then, but that's not really a, that great of an excuse. Uh, CPU exclusive characters. So we have Balrog, which is a boxer, which I've never seen. He's very similar to Mike Tyson, which we just had the Mike Tyson game on. Uh, Vega is a Smash Bull fighter. He wields a claw and uses unique fighting style. His name is Balrog in Japan. Even though Balrog is right here. It's weird. Uh, Sagat is a kickboxer, a former World Warrior Champion. Who was scarred by Ryu? Okay, 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 okay. He's just, he's he's a Muay Thai fighter. Okay, interesting. And then we have Bison, who literally is just mentioned up there. Uh, he's the leader of the crime organization of uh, Shadowloo, who uses a mysterious power known as psycho psycho power, and the is the final opponent of the game. So yeah, so for this game alone. It was ported so many different times. So initially in 92, it came to the NES. uh, And as also the Amiga, Atari, Commodore, and PC. You had it for DOS. Uh, 94 came out in the CPS Changer. 95 it came out for Game Boy. 97 is the Master System, and then immediately next year it came out for the Sega Saturn. 98 as well, PlayStation. 2004, it came out like a mobile version of the game, so on some phones and tablets and stuff. Uh, 2006, it came out for PlayStation 2 and the Xbox. And then in 2018... As part of like the Street Fighter 30th Anniversary Collection, it came out for PS4, Xbox One, Nintendo Switch, and uh, for the PC, Windows. So there's some things that if you played the uh, Super Nintendo version of the game, you missed. Uh, 
versus when it came out for the favicon so these are some of the things that were changed uh yeah so there's a very different like differences between each of these ports so if you're interested in that i kind of see them on wikipedia just i don't want to vomit all over you with these informations so there's that it's i mean just read the accolades before don't really have to go through and say it won this award it did all these things it is uh just fantastic so apparently Mortal Kombat and Killer Instinct came after this game. Cool, cool, cool. I was wrong. Interesting. The things you learn. All right. So in pop culture, Street Fighter 2 has been an influential in hip-hop culture as the video game most frequently sampled and referenced in hip-hop music. It has been referenced in the lyrics and songs by rappers such as Nicki Minaj, Loop, Lupe Fiasco... Uh, Dizzy Rascal, Lil B, Sean Price, and Mad Lib. Uh, the connection between Street Fighter and the hip-hop dates back to High C's Swingin' and DJ Qberts Track 10, which sampled Street Fighter 2 and the Street Fighter film soundtrack, which was the first major film soundtrack to consist almost entirely of hip-hop music. According to DJ Qbert. I think hip-hop is a cool thing. I think Street Fighter is a cool thing. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. So, it looks like hip-hop music and the music of Street Fighter uh, is uh, pretty popular. So, uh, to end this episode, we are going to take some, a look at some work by Yoko Shimura. Who was the is a Japanese composer who wrote the music for Street Fighter, and we'll just kind of sample some of those things and see, uh, you know, what we like about it. So, um, as as we're listening or before we listen to this, I would just like to say that you can find me on Twitter, uh, Digo the Duke. You can find the podcast at Drinking Geek Out on all social medias. And you can find our mainstay podcast at Spotify or Google Podcasts or Stitcher or anything like that. Anywhere you can find podcasts, we're there. All right, so music and we're done. So thank you for hanging out. Thanks for playing this game with me. And I hope that you guys can get your hands on this game because it's so awesome and fun. Thank you very much. Here we go. Uh, here we go. We'll go with Ryu's stage music. Honda.
Marke. Geil. Very American. Ken? Oh shit. You get like the very like you are an American when you listen to this tune. Here we go, Chin Lee's time. soothing very cultural very i don't know the almost like a maraca in the background and then just whatever instruments on top uh here's zangief it's very boring it doesn't set him aside from anything. Ah, Russians. All right, here's Dalsim. It's a very interesting, like, uh, instrument back there. I don't know. It's it's interesting, but uh, so this is this is Street Fighter. <laughs> 